be reading from Jonah 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. This is God's word. You may be seated. A couple of weeks ago, we started a series in the Minor Prophets, and we find ourselves in the book of Jonah, because Jonah is the earliest of the Minor Prophets. By way of reminder, the minor prophets are called minor because they're shorter than the other prophets. Has nothing to do with content, has nothing to do with who wrote them. They're called minor because they're short. That's it. Little background just to remind you on the book of Jonah. In the mid-750s B.C., God put his hand, so to speak, on the shoulder of a man named Jonah, who lived just a few miles outside the town of Nazareth. He said, Jonah, I want you to be a prophet. And by prophet, I mean, I want you to speak my words after me to another group of people. The group of people that Jonah was called to speak to were in a city called Nineveh. And Nineveh at the time was the capital city of a nation called Assyria. Assyria has never been friendly to Israel. And Israel has never been friendly to Assyria. Jonah did not like the Ninevites. He, he had a bent, generally speaking, against Gentiles, as most folks from Israel would have at the time, but he particularly did not like Nineveh. And the reason for that was that the Assyrians some years before had come down very close to his hometown and conquered a group of people in Damascus. And the Assyrians were famous for their torture, for their uh, ill treatment of people, and we'll just leave it at that. And so, Jonah could not figure out why it was that God wanted to send any word at all to a people like the Ninevites in Assyria. And so Jonah, although he came from the people of God in Israel, decided that he would flee from the presence of the Lord. It says that three different times in chapter 1. And so what he did was he traveled 50 miles away to a town called Joppa, got on a boat that was run by 
good pagan Gentiles. And he said, where are you going? And they said, Tarshish, which was in what we call modern day Greece, which was hundreds of miles away. And he said, sounds good to me. Let's go there. On his journey, a great storm uh, broke out. And so great was the storm that the sailors who were seasoned through the cargo overboard. And finally, they recognized that a, a divine hand was involved. And so they cast lots to determine who was responsible for this problematic storm. And the lot fell to Jonah. They came to Jonah and said, where are you from and who is your God and how come you haven't been praying to him? And he said, my God is the God who created the sea and the land and what you need to do is throw me overboard. Which is exactly what they did. They threw Jonah overboard and the sea immediately went calm and the winds stopped. The sailors were so impressed that they bowed the knee to the God of the Hebrews and Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. That's about as much of the story of Jonah as we are traditionally familiar with. And, and it's a, a tremendous story. We, if we went to church as kids, we heard it in our youth. And, and, uh, but there's quite a bit more to the story because Jonah was, was, uh, was a disobedient man. I mean, he had a divine uh, encounter with God and was given an, a mission, and he said, I refuse to do it. I refuse, I refuse, I refuse to give your word to this people. And so, consequently, the storm, and he was thrown overboard and swallowed by a great fish. It's, it's a fascinating tale. I, I want to remind us of how the story begins. I'm going to reread two and a half verses from chapter one. It says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come, upon, uh, has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. That's how the story begins. And if you look with me at chapter 3, and I'll read the first couple of verses there as well, you'll notice some similarities. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it a message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. That Nineveh was a very great city, three days' journey in breadth. The book begins in chapter 1 exactly the same way as chapter 3 begins. Same words, same language. God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to give them the message that I'm going to give you to deliver. But in chapter 1, Jonah chose to flee. And in chapter 3... Jonah decides to be obedient and to go to Nineveh and deliver God's message to the people. And so we have to ask the question, what happened? What changed Jonah's mind? What, is the, what are the events that took place between chapter 1 and chapter 3? And, and, thence, and therefore, and thusly, we come to chapter 2. And you're all sitting there and saying, 
Well, preacher, he got swallowed by a fish. That's what happened. That would change anybody's mind. But believe it or not, that's not what changed Jonah's mind. That's the great irony of the whole thing. You see, we're told two things about the fish. And only two things. I mean, it was obviously a great fish. Uh, Verse 17 of chapter 1 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Big enough to swallow Jonah. And then in verse 10 of chapter 2 it says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon dry land. The sum total of the action of the fish is the ability to swallow and the ability to vomit. That's how much we know about Jonah's great fish. But quite a bit transpired while Jonah was cast into the sea and then swallowed by the fish. Jonah prays. Chapter 2 and most of chapter 2 is, is a prayer by Jonah. Now, again, you're sitting there and saying, if I was thrown overboard in a great storm and swallowed by a huge fish, my prayer life would improve dramatically. And I am with you. There's not a single one in this room who has faith in God who would not be praying at a moment like that. I'm confident of that. I mean, we would have to be faithless not to be praying at a time like that. But what's very ironic about chapter 2 is that Jonah's prayer is a prayer of praise. Now, isn't that odd? It's very peculiar. I don't know exactly what I would be praying. It's not a shared experience that any of us have, and I'm very confident none of us will ever have, but Jonah praised God in the midst of this kind of turmoil. And so we have to turn our attentions to that. So in verse 5 and 6, for example, let me just read those. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O my Lord. Again, that that phrase, you brought my life up out of the pit, very reminiscent of uh, Psalm 40, which we read earlier in part of our service. As a matter of fact, this whole chapter is just riddled with Old Testament quotes and messianic allusions, allusions to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I was really torn because there's multiple ways to preach this text. And, and I thought, boy, if I, if I follow Jesus all the way through this, we'll be there till four o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm going to be doing that later on in the book of Jonah. And so what I want to do today, rather than do that, is just let you know that if you read Psalm 118, Psalm 118 is a Hillel psalm. Psalm 118 was a, a psalm that was also quoted in the book of Hebrews that we just finished here a couple of weeks ago. It's a psalm that was sung during Passover, and it was likely the very psalm that was sung by Jesus 
and the disciples on the night when Jesus was betrayed. That's quoted here, along with Psalm 40 and, and a myriad of other places. And so I commend those to you. But, but in the midst of this reality, Jonah is praising God that he has been swallowed by a fish. Look with me at verse 2 and 3. Not so much of the praise comes out here, but this is where the praise begins. And I'm sorry, the prayer begins. Uh, Jonah cried out from the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. What, what's interesting here is, is that Jonah acknowledges the complete hand of God on the events that are occurring to him at the moment. In other words, it was not an accident that he was thrown overboard. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 3, for you cast me into the deep. Now we know from chapter 1 that it was actually the sailors that had picked up Jonah and, and pitched him overboard. But, but Jonah was so aware of the reality that what was happening to him was as a result of the hand of God. That he said, I am here because of your hand. In other words, Jonah acknowledged at that moment that what was taking place in his life was not only at the hand of God, but that he deserved everything that he was getting. What he was getting was judgment for attempting to flee from God and disobedient because he wasn't doing what God had asked him to do. And so he acknowledges, God, I am here. You have cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood has surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows have passed over me. It's almost as if he's recounting the initial moments when he's thrown into the sea and the fish hasn't shown up and he's on the verge of drowning. And then the fish comes and swallows him and saves him. And, and he refers this as, you have put me in the belly of Sheol. Now Sheol, um, some people think it's hell. It, 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 in the Hebrew mind, it's the place of the dead. Okay, so, so you can just think. In other words, Jonah says, I'm as good as dead at the hands of God, even though I am yet alive. I am getting what I deserve. That's how his prayer begins and how he acknowledges what's going on. It's a pretty, pretty amazing thing to, for Jonah to say, you have cast me into the sea. And, and, and there's a tremendous irony here. And I'll tell you what the irony is because I think it bears hearing and understanding. When, when the sailors came to Jonah in chapter 1 and said, Who are you and where are you from and what God do you serve? In chapter 9 he said, I'm sorry, verse 9 of chapter 1 he said, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven 
who made the sea and the dry land. I serve the creator of the universe. But, but can you imagine, and he goes on and tells the sailors, I'm running from this God. But imagine the sailors saying, now, now let me just get this straight, Jonah. You worship and serve the God who created the sea, but you got on a boat to run away from him. And now Jonah is in the sea that God has created, that he has professed with his mouth facing the judgment of God. Oh my. How ironic humanity is when humankind says, I will run life my way. Oh yes, there is a God. Oh yes, there's a God who created. Oh, he created the sea and he created everything on the dry land, but I'm going to run away from him in the sea. And so judgment comes upon Jonah and he recognizes it and he sees it and he knows that he is worthy of the judgment that God is pouring out on him. Verse 7 of chapter 2 says this, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Again, we would say, well, of course he prayed. But there's some unique things here that are going on that I want to point out for us. I, I prayed as my life was fainting away. I remembered the Lord and my prayers came to you as if I was in the temple. Now, now why is that a big deal? We're, we're good Gentiles in 2023, right? But in the Hebrew mind, during the temple era, what, what did the temple serve? What was its purpose? Well, first of all, it was the place where man went and offered sacrifice, sacrifice for sin, and it was where men and women went to have their prayers heard. It was the place that represented, if you will, the conduit to God. You know, you went to the temple so that you could have communication to God through the sacrificial system, through the priesthood, and all these other things. But here, Jonah says... My prayers came to you into your holy temple. Fascinating thing. Jonah's faith in a very real way recognized that while he was hundreds of miles away, now in the belly of a fish in the midst of the sea, God is hearing his prayers in the midst of his distress. As if he were in the temple. That's an extraordinary thing for a book that was written in the mid-700s B.C. I, I don't need the temple per se. God is hearing my prayers as if I were there. And God answered me when I was fainting away, when I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to him. 
you see, it's really not about the fish. Let's just back up and kind of repaint the picture now in, in oils as opposed to watercolors. Jonah is a man who fled from God. I will run my life my way. I, I will do what I want to do as opposed to what you have said to do. That is the human condition. That was Israel. That was every individual at the time. That is you and me. I know this is simple. Jonah is thrown to the waves and he deserves exactly what he got because of his defiant disobedience to God. And he understood it. He understood that he deserved the judgment of God. That the waves that were crashing over his head were the waves that were put there by God. Because he deserved the judgment from God. And so in the midst of this judgment, in the midst of his recognition of his state, from the belly of a fish, he cries out to God, and he is heard. And he is heard. And, and he says, my prayers are heard without the conduit of the temple, as if I were there. In the great darkness of the deep, God heard me. He didn't know he was going to be thrown up in a couple of days on a beach. But he wanted relationship with God restored. You see, that is the gospel. Plain, plain and simple. Man has rejected God, who is creator. Chosen to go his own way. The judgment that falls on mankind are the consequences for that disobedience. It's, it's that simple. But when man cries out for mercy, God hears. And, and this is where it gets so deeply messianic, you see, because when Christ was on the cross... 750 years later, the veil of the temple was torn in two. Direct access to God was granted once for all, for all time, so that any human being who ever cries out to God is heard without the need of temple, without the need of the priesthood, without the need of the sacrificial system, because Christ paid the sacrifice. But here in Jonah, we have a picture of that. It wasn't the fish that changed Jonah's mind from chapter 1 to chapter 3. It was the gospel. That he was deserving of the judgment of God, but God spared him by a fish. And so he cried out to God for mercy. Mercy. 
And, and, and so if we are asking the question, and I'm not sure we are, but if we were to ask the question, how does a person move from disobedience to obedience? It's, it's not just the gospel in a moment, it's the gospel for a lifetime. You see what I'm saying? It's not that one moment in time where I say, yeah, I believe that I deserve the judgment of God, but he saves me. It is a deep and rich and lifetime understanding that because God has shown me mercy and because I deserve the judgment, I will live for him. And my depth of understanding of the gospel and my love for it should expand on a daily, weekly, hourly basis, you see? And that's what causes me to live for Christ as opposed to against him. I've got a few more things to say. Now, Jonah, the problem with Jonah is he's like Dave White. He's flawed. And as great as this story is, there's, there's a bitter taste to it, just a little tiny bitter taste. And it's going to come up again toward the end of the book. I don't want to lose sight of the gospel-centeredness of this, okay? Because that really is the heart of what's going on in chapter 2. But Jonah does something strange here. Uh, toward the conclusion of his prayer in verses 8 and 9, he says this. And, and I'll point out why there's a little bit of a flaw here. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to you, God. Theologically, he is spot on. 100% accurate. If you are an idolater and you are serving something other than the one true God and you die in that state, you will never see the steadfast love of God. No question about that. There is no question about the reality that salvation belongs to God and there is no question in my mind that Jonah was sincere when he says I have a voice of thanksgiving and I will offer sacrifice to you and I will keep my vows. It's exactly the same language and the verbs are the same that are used when the sailors converted after Jonah was thrown over and the sea calmed down for the first time. Back in verse 16 of chapter 1, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. In verses 8 and 9, there's just a slight undercurrent yet in Jonah that he still doesn't want pagans to know the mercy of God. I'm one of yours. And I, I will give you thanksgiving and I'll offer my praise and my thanksgiving. And you are the God of salvation. And, and he's not thinking this through, but there's just, because the verbs are identical and they're the only place in the text that they're used, 
where he's, I, I, I still don't want pagans to know your mercy. Now that doesn't taint the story, you see, because everything that's gone before has painted a picture of the mercy of God that is available to all humanity, which was the source of and the content of the message that Jonah was given to deliver, you see. That judgment is coming, but God is merciful. So let me just leave you with these thoughts, and I I think that they're very important, and I don't know how to articulate them clearly and well. How do I become more in love with the gospel so that I live accordingly? That's, That's a hard question, isn't it? We are, um, I'm, I really am trying to be careful here. We, I'm a pastor, and this is a church that says this book really matters. Really, really, really matters. That it is the very word of God. That it is the only thing that matters. That every word in it is true. But the gospel was not something that I just picked up once when I was 5 or 17 or 22 or 42 or 96 and left behind. The gospel is in this book from start to finish. We have seen it, I hope clearly, in Jonah chapter 2. I mean, if it's in Jonah chapter 2, it's everywhere in this book, you see. But this book needs to be part of our lives more than 30 minutes on Sunday morning. Now, I'm not saying that's true for you, you see. But if you were ever to ask or be asked the question, why should I be in this book more than 30 minutes on Sunday morning? Here's why. Because this book washing over you on a daily basis causes you to love the gospel more and more. To recognize that God has the right to judge someone like me who says, I'm going to go my own way. It causes me to love more the God of mercy who says, though I buffet you with waves, I will redeem you. So our knowledge and our Our love for the gospel comes along with our love for this book, you see. So I encourage you, love this book for it will cause you to love the gospel. (coughs) Don't don't forsake the reading of it and the the letting it pour over you because as it pours over you, it, it... bathes you with the gospel and you love it more and more now we're going to see Jonah and all of his faults and and they're really grave they're like mine quite frankly but God's judgment of Jonah was right and it was just Jonah's plea for mercy and his praise 
of the God who heard him was right. And that's what salvation looks like. None of us will ever be swallowed by a fish. But every one of us who has a relationship with God through Christ have been called out of the sea of judgment by the mercy of God for his glory. Let's pray. Father, I, I, uh, I trust that we will love you, your gospel, and your word better for having looked at Jonah chapter 2. You are so rich in mercy. We are so deserving of judgment. We have gone our own way. And yet when we cry out, you hear us because of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.